Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. So we are in a vision series. Uh, It's three weeks. We started this last week, second week, and then you guessed it, next week is the third week. That would be three in a row. And so last week, we talked about what is our vision at New City. You know, a vision is something you see. It's something that you want to see happen. And a good vision is something that uh, is, is too big for you to do on your own. It should be clear. It should be specific. And last week, we said that our vision at New City is to see our eyes, the eyes of our heart, but around us as well, to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we talked about what is flourishing in the scriptures. And we looked at Jeremiah 29 together, particularly this idea of God's people being in exile. We saw that Peter also tells us that we, the church now, are in exile. And that means we are resident aliens. We, we are to fully reside where we are, and yet we reside as people who are a part of a different kingdom. We're a part of a different kingdom with different interests. But rather than coming in to fully reside in this place where we are, to Uh, to overturn or to subvert even that which is around us because of our own interests. We are to be ambassadors representing the kingdom of God for the interests of our neighbors. And we said that this would bring about flourishing. Flourishing would be a right relationship with God, with self, with others, and with creation. And we, we talked about a few things that this would reframe. If we fully resided, if we said, listen, we are going to be for the flourishing of our communities, we said three things will be reframed. And I just want to mention one because it was the overarching thing. And that is this. If we were to live as those who fully reside wherever we live, work, learn, and play, we would have our view of the other, right? The other, whoever that is, different, foreign, than us. We, our view would be reframed from other, and we would see them as neighbor. And then as we would engage them as neighbor, they would become friends, and then prayerfully, they would become a part of family. The Bible calls this hospitality. When we actually love the stranger so that they would become neighbor and friend. And we said that if we're going to be about the flourishing of our communities, that is one key thing that must happen. But we also said that if the first thing we do is pull out our calendars, pull out a white notepad and try to plan out how can we can be more hospitable, right? Strategize, which are good things. But if that's where we start, we will make a fatal error. 
Because in order to truly live that life out of an overflow, we must not only fully reside where God has put us, but we must faithfully abide in Christ where all of life comes from. So to see our communities flourish, we must faithfully and fully reside and wholly abide in Christ. Now, how exactly do we get these types of people, these types of people like you and I to fully reside, who are wholly abiding? How would we get them in our communities? Well, today, that would be closer to talking about something like a mission, right? Because if you have a vision of what you want to see, your mission is that thing or those things that you'll just keep doing over and over towards seeing your vision come about, right? And so one way to talk about it is what will we need to do as a congregation to see this happen? Well, we will need to saturate our communities with whole life disciples. Well, to do that, we have to multiply whole life disciples. And before I even tell you what I mean by whole life disciples, I want to stop and realize this. When I say the word disciple in church, all types of ideas and thoughts have already filled your mind. So just think about what those are. For many of us who have been around church for any time, we have a truncated or simplistic view of discipleship because discipleship will become mainly equated with maybe meeting with a small group of people and somehow we might call that discipleship. Or might be a classroom for some of you, right? Sunday evening or Wednesday evening discipleship. For some, it's being trained in evangelism or Bible study or stewardship or some other various Christian disciplines, right? All of these things are certainly aspects of discipleship and what we might call discipleship, but there's a more overarching goal to discipleship. All these things are necessary. They're good, but there has to be a more overarching goal to discipleship. And interestingly enough, you might be thinking, why are we in Ephesians 4 then? We're going to be talking about discipleship. And in fact, this is one of my favorite passages to reflect on when I think about my discipleship, along with sort of a partner passage in Colossians chapter 3 that goes together, which we'll mention. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through this passage. I want to make three observations from the passage. Okay, so it's going to feel like we're just having a conversation. I'm pointing some things out. But then at the end... I'm going to make two, draw out two implications from these observations, okay? So first, we're going to walk through the passage together and look at three observations, all right? So first, let's look at this. Uh, when we look at this passage, we see very clearly that Paul has made a transition in his letter to the Ephesians. He's been telling them in the first three chapters, four chapters now, that if you're in Christ, you're part of a new society, that Christian discipleship actually changes your public life, your social life, your ethical life. It changes everything about you. And he's talking about the church as this new society. And now he gets to verse 17 and he starts with this word, now. Okay, so now, this I say and testify in the Lord. So right there, he's telling you, this is, this is from the Lord himself, right? This is, I'm getting this. You better pay attention to this. Okay, so... He's preparing us for what he's about to say. And as he walks through, he talks about this way of life that the Gentiles live. Now, we have to remember the Ephesians were, they're Gentile Christians. In other words, they're not Jewish by birth. So therefore, they are Gentiles, but they are Gentile Christians who are no longer to live and embrace this former way of life is what he's telling them. He, He describes, which we won't spend a lot of time on this morning, he describes 
the Gentile way of life. It's, it's darkened. It's confused. It's alienated from the life of God. It's ignorant. And these things make this way of life and those who live this way of life increasingly callous to the things of God, increasingly hardened to the things of God. And they become softened to the kingdom of self. Paul will describe in other places if you keep reading and read before. But there's a difference between the kingdom of self and that of the new life in Christ. And in verse 20, he reminds them, this isn't your life anymore. And and he does it by saying this, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Right? This word learned Christ is a verb form of the noun disciple. If you saw it in Greek, it is the verb form of the noun disciple. And so we might say something like, this isn't the way that you were discipled in Christ. You were discipled differently. You learned Christ differently. You see, even the way we use the word learn, we usually think only cognitive. But this, this passage helps us see that discipleship, right, is to learn, right? A disciple is fundamentally a learner. But it's not just learning things, it's learning a whole new way of life. That's what discipleship is. It's, it's, it's coming into a whole new view of the world. It's coming into a whole new posture towards everything. And so Paul says, you've been discipled now. You've been discipled differently. He says, you have been taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and to put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God. And Paul says the same thing to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So in both Ephesians and Colossians, Paul unpacks really a curriculum for discipleship. You can talk a lot about different things in discipleship, but the overall curriculum, the overall posture of this journey that we call learning Christ or discipling is this reality that the old self has been taken off when we put faith in Christ, right? We might read this and think that this is a command, right? Put off the old self, but it's not. It's not an imperative. And it could be confusing. It's actually speaking of something that's already happened that has current realities today. If you put your faith in Christ, you've already taken off the old self. And by putting your faith in Christ, you've been given this new self, but what does he mean by self, right? We, and this gets into the first observation. Old self and new self, what does he mean? Well, if you have your Bibles, in the footnote under, under self, it's probably going to say, in Greek, the word is man. That's probably what it's going to say in the footnote of most of your Bibles, okay? And that's true, but that still might be confusing. By man, it means humanity, not male. So the, the word in Greek is anthropos, humanity, So what we see is the translation is self, but another way we can say it is that you have taken off your old humanity and you have put on this new humanity in Christ, which is being created in the image of God. So when you put your faith in Christ, your old humanity was put off and this new one has been put on. So you see, the difference is is that your status has now changed. And this is where discipleship starts. Discipleship starts with faith in Christ 
and your status changing from old human in Adam to new human in Christ. And if our discipleship is less than that, it's too small. It's too truncated. You see, the purpose of discipleship is not to be good or to do good things. The purpose of discipleship is to be restored into the image of God in Christ. Okay? And we'll see that more and more, but we got to keep moving to this second observation. The second observation is that the new self was created after the likeness of God. So we have this new humanity, and this new humanity is created after the likeness of God. So we see that in verse 24. Put on the new self or the new humanity created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, this language shows us the connection of our growth in Christ and how we were originally created in Genesis when God made us in his image. All of us look back in order to root us now. We all look back to decisions we made, or one thing that's really popular now is in order to gain a rootedness, in order to understand our situatedness in life, increasingly people are turning to companies like Ancestry.com, something like that, right? Because the idea is if I look back and have an idea of where I come from, it'll change the way that I live now, right? And just out of curiosity, because my perception was more and more people were partaking in companies like Ancestry.com. So I just went to their website and they have a blog and I scrolled back and listened to this according to their website. In 2016, of the summer, they boasted 2 million people who had taken a DNA test to find out their ancestry, right? That was the summer of 2016, 2 million people. Well, January of last year, 2017, it was up to 3 million people. So in seven months, they gained a million people in their database. That was in January. In April of that year, it was up to 4 million people. And then in August of last year, it was up to 5 million people. And as of today, on their website, they boast over 6 million people. That's a lot of growth. And what is the curiosity? Why would we want to do this? I mean, I think it's kind of cool, right? It's, it's no more going to the library and looking through like old newspapers to figure out how you got to where you got. It's DNA testing, right? It must be better. It's science, right? So... That's a, big, that's a lot of growth. What are these people wanting? Well, I think they're wanting what all of us want. They're wanting to get some glimpse of where we came from to situate us now to understand how we're to live our life and how it might shape our life. And that's what Paul's doing. He's giving us a look back, helping us understand what we were meant to be, where we were meant to come from. And that is, in the garden, God made Adam and Eve to image him perfectly. And so we see in this passage and in the Colossians passage, and in our favorite verse that we quote all the time, 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? That as we behold the glory of the Lord, we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another, right? What are we being transformed into? His image. You see, it's clear, clear in the Bible that the goal of discipleship, the purpose of learning Christ is to live more fully human as we are meant to be. And so when we look back before sin, we see that God's desire for humanity was for his image bearers to faithfully relate to him, to rule over the earth and to reflect his image in all they did. So I have to say, there is nothing wrong with being human. 
Sometimes we say, well, I'm only human. If only you were only human. Problem is, is we're fallen. That's our real problem. It's not that we're finite. We'll always be finite. It's that we're fallen. And so there's nothing wrong with how God created us, with a body that needs sleep and food and shelter, a body that can get stronger and do work and build things and paint pictures and create culture and sculpt statues and hold hands and give hugs and a mind that can think and takes glucose to do it, right? And reason and imagine and reflect and emotions that connect us with others and make us excited and grateful and hopeful. All of these things are God-given and yet sin. That's the problem. That's the problem. That's why we need to put off the old man and its manner of life, which lives for self, and we must embrace this new man. And so the first observation is that when Paul says old self and new self, he's talking about a whole new humanity, a whole new creation. And when Paul says that the new humanity is created after the likeness of God, it tells us what God is doing, where he's taking us in discipleship. And then the third observation is that this new humanity is a completely new manner of life, which requires daily renewal. Look with me here in in this passage in verse 23. Well, if we look to 22, let's look at the verbs. To put off your old self. It's an idea. I already said this. This putting off is not a present tense verb. Okay, it's something that's already happened that has continued effects. And if we look at verse 24, and to put on the new self, not a present tense verb. Okay, it's already happened. You've already become new in Jesus. What is a present tense verb that continues to happen is verse 23, and to be renewed. You see, this is the process of growing in our new identity as new humans. This daily practice of being renewed that God brings about. This daily seeing Jesus so that from one degree of glory to another, we will be renewed. And so discipleship then is a lifelong task of growing in this new way of life in Christ. This new life of Christ does not come naturally. Listen, you are new in Christ and yet you have to grow into this new humanity. I have to grow into this new humanity. And in that sense, sanctification, growth in that new humanity takes practice. One theologian puts it this way. He says, I want people to get past the idea that they understand Christianity because they went to Sunday school. You have to learn how to do it. You have to undergo an apprenticeship. Nobody really wants to love their neighbor as themselves. Right? Who are we apprenticing? Jesus, as we behold him and as we see him. Right, think about a doctor. Think about a newly graduated physician. Okay, so there is a status change that happens. You were not doctor, and now you are. You hadn't taken the Hippocratic Oath, and now you have. There's a new status. When you walk into the hospital the next time, you are no longer a student doctor. You are a doctor. Still in training, of course. But when is a doctor not in training, right? That's why we use the word practice medicine. Or you think about a counselor, right? They practice counseling, a counseling practice. There's an apprenticeship involved. The status change doesn't mean you now are an expert. But it really has happened. You really are new. Something really did change. 
And in this case, this old man taken off and this new man being put on is a status change that we will forever in our lifetime begin to understand, begin to live in, and begin to more fully embrace. So then what is the goal of discipleship based on these three observations? What is the goal of discipleship? And I'll say it this way. The goal of discipleship is for the image of God to be restored in us. That is the goal of discipleship. To use a more common phrase, the goal of discipleship is that we would be more like Jesus, that we would look more like him. But since discipleship has tended to be truncated and shrunk down and reduced to a few disciplines, right? And usually your favorite ones, whatever that be, Bible reading, meditation, evangelism, small group, life on life, discipleship, these are all good things. But because discipleship and the goal of discipleship has oftentimes been shrunken down into whatever our favorite thing is, I and we have felt the necessity to say and use the phrase whole life discipleship to understand that God is at work in every part of your life. Think about a part of your life and God is at work there. Anywhere, any part of you, it matters. And so if it does, and if discipleship, this new humanity encompasses every single part of you, then there are two implications. The first implication is a reminder that whole life discipleship is new creation. That's what he says right here. In verse 24, put on the new humanity created, created something else happened to you. Think about our call to worship. If anyone is in Christ, he is new creation. This is not a self-improvement project. That's why the first implication we have to see is whole life discipleship is new creation. It's not some self-improvement project. It's, it can't be seen as less than the goal of having the image of God restored in us increasingly. So this means that if we're going to multiply whole life disciples and send them out to love their neighbors, Jesus must be at the very center of everything we do because the only way you and I change is to see him more fully, to see him more clearly, which means that in our sermons, we have to put Christ forward so that we would be changed. In our conversations, in our community groups, we must put Jesus at the forefront and not self, not us. We must encourage one another with this new status we have in him because it's only the beauty of Jesus that's gonna change. It's not self-discipline. It's not willpower. We're gonna be drawn toward desiring to change as we see Jesus more clearly because we'll see new creation. So the scriptures must be preached continually so we can see the goodness of God and the beauty of the new humanity in Christ. Listen, I can tell you it's a good idea to become more fully human and you won't care I mean, this struck me so clearly as I was preparing this week. I just thought, I am absolutely powerless. I can say these things. I can open up the scriptures and I am powerless for anything to happen in your heart. And what's really scarier than that is I'm powerless for anything to happen in my heart. And so if we are gonna change, we have to focus our minds and hearts upon Jesus, because transformation, discipleship, learning Christ is daily renewal that comes from God. So the scriptures must be preached so we can see God as beautiful. And since the purpose of discipleship is for the image of God to be restored in us, this must also shape the way that we understand sin. Right? If, if you and I only view sin as breaking a law, 
It is that. But if we only view God as this God who has this list of laws that we just think, well, he's God, so they must be right and good, and so I shouldn't break them or he'll get mad at me, that will seem so abstract to us. It will make no sense, and it might actually seem arbitrary. But when we understand that the goal of discipleship is to become more fully human, the way we'll begin to see sin is that sin inauthenticates us because it distorts our humanity. It deforms us. That's what sin does. That's why sin is so bad for us and for those around us, because it makes us less human. It, we, it conforms us to that old manner of life and not the new manner of life. Uh, one theologian, Jeffrey Bromley, says it this way. He says, sin is a ludicrous caricature of genuine human life. I'll say that again. Sin is a ludicrous caricature of genuine human life. And the reason is because sin is a distortion and misuse of our image-bearing capacity. Human beings are amazing. And we're amazing because we're made in the image of God. Every single one of you, no matter what you believe in here, you are made in the image of God. And in Jesus Christ, God is about the work of restoring that in us so that we would become more fully human. And Jesus showed us what fully authentic humanness looks like. And the only way for you and I to become more fully human is to become more fully Christian, to become more fully like Jesus. So the first implication of the observations of what the curriculum of discipleship is, is that whole life discipleship is new creation. And the second implication, therefore, is that whole life discipleship is invasive. Think about an invasive surgery. Right? There, there's the small stuff like uh, stitches. That's not too invasive. And then there's heart surgery where they crack open your chest. That's pretty invasive. Where they, where they cut your leg open and take a vein out so that they can, after they've cracked open your chest, do bypass. That's pretty invasive. Where they go into your body and remove dead parts of it broken parts of it and take it out where it takes weeks to recover. That's invasive. And that's the type of work that Jesus does. He is the great physician. He's the master surgeon. He knows exactly what to do to you and me specifically. Discipleship will push its way into your eating and your spending. It will take hold of your smartphone and your calendar. It will insert its arguments into your family and your friendships and your aspirations and your allegiances. None of it will be left untouched because all of it matters to God. And therefore, if we are going to be about whole life discipleship in Christ at New City, we all will have to get a little uncomfortable. And not because anyone's going to be offensive not because we're going to try to handcuff people and tell you you have to fit in this cookie-cutter mold called New City Whole Life Disciples. That's not going to happen. The reason it will be uncomfortable is because it takes faith to live out our new humanity. And we're not very good at that. We want everything controlled. We want everything together. We want to know. We want to execute. We want to be safe. And as we move past those desires, we're uncomfortable because it takes faith. 
And so faith doesn't ignore the things we see, but it sees past it, it sees through it to the more deeper realities. So we'll all have to get a little uncomfortable because the way of Jesus is holistic and integrated. And we kind of like compartmentalizing things. We kind of like to compartmentalize our life. Well, I got this part and I got this part and I'm not ready for Jesus to bust into that door yet. So I'm gonna add some more locks for a little bit. I'm not gonna bring this out into community because that's too dirty, too nasty, too scary to tell anyone, even Jesus. I can't do that. But it takes faith to live a whole life and an integrated life in Christ because it covers all aspects of our living. You see, discipleship, to live this new humanity isn't to remove something from your life or to even add something on top of what you already do. It's to reframe under the power of the Spirit everything you're already doing. You see, oftentimes we think of spirituality as adding disciplines or taking away bad habits. But that's not where we start. Where we start is to follow Jesus by the Spirit in every moment of our life right now. When you walk out of here, you don't have to add a single thing to your life or take it away because you're already living a specific life that now can be reshaped, renewed, and reframed as you put on Christ, as you learn Christ. And so we'll begin to see every habit and practice of everyday life as relevant to our discipleship and the type of person we are becoming. What is the first thing you do when you open your eyes? Well, after you hit the snooze button, what's the first thing you do when you actually wake up? Think about it. Whatever the first thing you do is has a profound effect on the rest of your day. And when you do that next and next and next, it shapes you in a certain type of person. So if you read statistics, most people grab their phone first because that was their alarm. And then we need this sort of hit of, of anything. I don't know, email, stimulation, Facebook, sports, news. This glowing rectangle has shaped the rest of your day. Because guess what? Later on that day, as soon as you get bored, your mind isn't going to go anywhere else but to entertainment. You're going where is, to, where is it? Grab it. Whew, okay, feels good. Feels good, got that hit that rush of dopamine in my brain. You see, every single thing we do is shaping us to love certain things. Discipleship is invasive. And as Paul unpacks this, which we won't get into, he talks about how it'll shape the way you think about truth-telling. That's verse 25. And the way you deal with your anger verse 26, and then the way you work and how generous you are, verse 28. And in chapter five, he moves to matters of sexuality and matters of worship in verse 519. And then into the household and how it's to work. So we see every area of our life, we're bearing an image. What image will you bear? The image of the culture around you, the old man, or the image of Christ, this new life, which is being restored in us. So I'll end with this. This was admittedly, this week, a theological, doctrinal argument for why I use the phrase whole life discipleship and what I think discipleship is. Next week, 
we're gonna come down out of 30,000 feet to closer to 10,000 feet. But let me say this. I meant this to be an invitation to you. I wanna invite you to whole life discipleship. I wanna invite you to apprentice Jesus in this community. It's an invitation to practice this new life of new creation that we've been given. It's not to earn this new life. It's already been given to you in Christ, but it's to practice it, to live it out in community. I wanna invite you to a life where you become more authentically who you were made to be. A life where you don't earn the right to join the new humanity by your own effort, but by your faith in Christ, you're given this new status because of what he's done. And ultimately, I wanna invite you into this community to learn how to enjoy this life as a new creation. So will you, will you join us? Will you let God do his work of new creation in you invasively? So that as we would look out five years, 10 years from now, these whole life disciples would not just have done invasive work, but it would be pervasive to see them in Orlando. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and there's so many areas in our life today that are shaped by our old manner of life. And we reflect on Paul's words together that's not the way we learned Christ and you've made us new in Christ. And so I ask that you would make your goodness known to us so that we would repent and come to you and let you do your work as the, the good physician who came not to call the righteous, but to heal the unrighteous and to make us more whole. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.